everyone. I'm Janine Strong, and you're listening to Keeping It Real with Janine, your guide to living an authentic, healthy life podcast. And every two weeks, I have an inspiring conversation with an ordinary person leading an extraordinary life. Today's conversation with Dr. Michael Smith is about neuroplasticity. And trust me, you're going to find it interesting. Don't worry, I know it's a big word. My previous conversations with Michael have been extremely informative and with a good dose of humor, so I'm quite sure today's conversation will be interesting and enjoyable. Dr. Smith applies a combination of functional medicine and evolutionary nutrition with the wisdom and experience of traditional Chinese medicine to his healing practice. This combination of traditions helps him understand and respond to some of today's most complex health challenges in a very comprehensive and effective way. Michael calls himself the autoimmune health detective. Our conversation on autoimmunity is podcast number 50, if you would like to go back and check it out. Quite interesting. Hi, Michael. Thank you for taking the time to come on the podcast again to talk about neuroplasticity. Thanks, Eugene. It's been uh, a while. It's nice to be back on the show. Hope you're doing well. I am. Thank you. And I hope you are too. So today we're going to talk about how to revitalize your brain and nervous system. And um, I, I read your blog posts on neuroplasticity and and I thought, wow, this would be a good podcast topic because I know for me, I just turned 70 and, you know, being flexible in body, mind, and spirit, I think is especially important. Um, and, you know, it's all, it's important at any age, but, you know, maintaining that and keeping that as you get older, you know, I think the the topic of neuroplasticity is really important. And uh, I've been aware of the topic for a long time, but there may be others who are listening who don't know anything about it. So maybe we should start with what is neuroplasticity and why should we care about it in the first place? Uh, well, I just want to take a moment and go, I did not know, Janine, that you were 70 years old. <laughs> and if there's an example of neuroplasticity <laughs> to start with, it's someone like yourself uh, fiddling around with all the buttons and knobs to pull off. <laughs> the number of episodes of a podcast. So high fives to you. <laughs> Thank as, you. You know, kicking butt and <laughs> doing, doing good things for the world with your mind. Thank you. Uh, technically, neuroplasticity uh, describes the new understanding that uh, the neural network or the wiring and cables of your mind that makes you able to like think and feel and move and uh, play and most importantly develop and maintain like precise skills. Uh, many years ago, we used to think that was kind of finite, and as you got older, it just went away. Mm -hmm. uh, in recent years, we've come to realize that you can build neuro, new neural pathways pretty much up until the end of your life, but you have to create. Uh, the right environment for that to happen and modern life you know we all sit and watch tv and you know drink sugary drinks and alcohol and coffee and uh, whatever else that we do to maintain kind of a sense of interactive stimulation with our environment but from a neurological point of view or an ancestral kind of instinctual point of view we're almost living in a virtual reality now so for those of us who want to live fit, healthy, long lives with body, mind, and soul, we can't live a modern average life of 
you know, walking back and forth to the fridge to get what we want and then sitting in front of a screen to watch and listen to what we want and expect to be healthy uh, animals in the sense of our evolutionary physiology. So mm-hmm. uh, that might be a bit of a long answer, but the the main thing about neuroplasticity is, is basically you, you either use it or you lose it and it's a relative mm-hmm. thing. So the, the more you keep the volume of your functioning happy brain uh, a bigger volume, the more opportunities you have and the slower it's going to go away. If you've had a period of time, say you spent 10 years, I don't know, working in an office 16 hours a day, um, that doesn't mean you have no hope or chance now. It just means you're going to have to spend a couple of years regaining your normal neuroplastic balance and then, you know, spend some time making sure you can keep it. Mm. So I would imagine there's a this kind of a line where, it, say, if you've been sitting around a, a lot, not not keeping yourself active mentally and physically, um, that if you change your mind and decide, okay, I need to get my act together, that you can bring a lot or most of it back. But I would imagine there's there must be a line drawn in the sand where it's kind of too late if you don't haven't. You know, if you've just been sitting around in front of a computer or TV screen for most of your life and sitting all day at a, in an office chair or whatever. Uh, at a certain point, but honestly, I think you'd have to be close to 80 and probably have some underlying inflammatory autoimmune uh, condition or process going on in your body using up your capacity to grow new neuropathways. Because, I mean, I, I know people in their 60s, 70s who start going to the gym, they start eating well, they start meditating, and you see them and, you know, two years later they look like they're 50, they look like they could be a model on a beach, they're a bit more wrinkly than your average beach model in the sense of, <laughs> you know, just how they look. But if you saw them walking down the beach from 20 feet away, they would look like someone in their 40s and you'd only really notice their their actual age by getting close enough to see like around their eyes where we all get a bit of wrinkles and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I just think it's amazing to say to anyone that, you know, unless you're already basically stuck in a chair on 10 medications a day because your immune system is attacking your whole body, you can still do just about anything you want with your health. Okay, good. And even if you're in that situation, you can still do a lot to change the progression of that kind of a complex, you know, long-term illness. So. Uh, yeah, maybe I'm being overly hopeful, but I'm pretty confident saying that almost everyone can repair their brain a lot, if not a heck of a lot. Mm-hmm. So what does happen with the brain when you aren't, let's see, I'm not sure how to say, it. I mean, if you're, if you're just watching I mean, sometimes like with the kids, I think, you know, they're watching all these YouTube videos and they're watching these other kids doing things. And I'm like, why don't you do something interesting and make a YouTube video out of it instead of watching everybody else do things? Um, Well, there's two sides to that conversation. One quickly, uh, when you do any kind of big research on athletes, Mm -hmm. say the, the famous study was years ago when they took three different groups of people. Uh, basketball players who spent two hours a day shooting hoops, mm-hmm. basketball players that spent uh, one hour a day shooting hoops and one hour a day imagining shooting hoops or watching people shooting hoops and and like imagining they're doing it. Mm. Uh, and or people who just spent two hours a day imagining uh, shooting hoops or watching people shooting hoops in, in a coaching sense. 
and the the difference between them all was not that great and in fact the people who did both visualization and activity did the best mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm not suggesting we should all sit down and watch youtube videos all day but if you're watching a video on how to do a better skateboard trick you're actually learning how to do a better skateboard trick mm-hmm. so it really depends on what you're watching and uh obviously the younger you are the more uh your brain is still in a very growing place so I think it's just a matter of self-management, which is, you know, am I watching to learn or am I watching to numb? Mm. And that that's not Good an point. age-dependent thing yeah. because you could be 40, 50, 20, uh, or 112. And if your objective is to shut off the world, that's your objective. If your mm-hmm. objective is to learn the new way to juggle chainsaws, well, that's what you're doing with your mind. So when we sit back and watch people and judge them, in that sense, which is a pretty natural thing to do because <laughs> we're human. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just encourage people to say, well, we're talking about neuroplasticity, so let's be precise to what's happening neurologically. Because mm-hmm. the people who, you know, as modern humans who do want to sit and watch and numb, uh, they're doing something that on an evolutionary level is very dangerous. And my favorite um, metaphor or analogy for that is koala bears. Mm. I love koala bears. I got to hold one once in Australia. Uh, I love koala bears too. They're really cute. And there was a big fire there recently. So if you want to help koala bears, the best foundation is called the Australian Koala Foundation because they're trying to rescue as many as they can. But uh, I did write a series of articles before that big fire happened called uh, Don't Be a Koala. And I'll explain why. Mm -hmm. So... Keep in one corner of your mind your typical person sitting there munching on the worst food, watching the most boring TV. Because this is about human neuroplasticity. But when you look at the history of our beloved koala bear, about 25 million years ago, there was an ecological shift where their natural forest environment changed more towards a desert forest environment. Mm, mm -hmm. So they went from being fairly cooperative, agile, uh, explorative, curious, and somewhat dangerous marsupial bear-like animals to your worst version of a couch potato because they ended up having to sit in one kind of tree eating one kind of leaf that's actually mildly inflammatory and neurotoxic. So their brain started to shrink over 25 million years fundamentally because they only needed to hold onto one branch and reach across space to pull off one leaf and stick it in their mouth and then get nauseous and dizzy and take a nap. God, that sounds horrible. (laughs) Well, welcome to couch potatoes. Wow. (laughs) In the forests of Australia. But the, the reason why that's such a great image is if you're into anthropology and archaeology and you're looking at koala like skulls from 25 million years ago up until recently, their brains have shrunk considerably. Hmm. And part of that's diet and inflammation and part of that's just a lack of need for what we call complex movement. Now humans in the last two million years have had the exact opposite effect because once we started using tools and breaking apart bones for bone marrow, which is about two and a half, three million years ago, uh, the archaeological evidence on humans uh, is our brain size doubled in the last two million years, mostly because of more complex movement, more hunting, more agility for making nets and traps and uh, flinting rocks and making bows and arrows and eating a heck of a lot of bone marrow and fish and uh, organ meats and things that are just, you know, regardless of how you think and feel about 
what's good or bad for people to eat Mm -hmm. from a pure just mechanic standpoint of nutrients in uh, um, and and what that does to the physiology of, of any animal including humans that change in diet and behavior again literally measurably doubled our brain size so we're on the opposite trajectory of our good friends and perhaps neuroplasticity totem animals the koala bear mm-hmm. um uh but we have to keep it because when you really get into the rate at which uh any animal adapts to it in its environment it's about four generations before we lose important stuff and we're already halfway into that since TV and crap food have more or less diminished our neuroplastic environment. Alzheimer's is on the rise, degenerative mm-hmm. disease is on the rise. And, you know, everybody wants to blame one thing if it's gluten or Wi-Fi or alien rays from space or whatever, <laughs> you know, in the sense of it's somebody's yeah. fault. Uh, as a clinician, I don't have that convenience of just you know, sitting in my lawn chair throwing darts at my proverbial bad guy. My job is to figure this out. Mm-hmm. And that's that's why I do all the research that I do. And because especially where we live here uh, in actually one of the measurably healthiest parts of the world, uh, we're surrounded by people who are for the most part doing what, you know, healthy humans should be doing. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I travel and do the things that I do in, in other parts of the world, it's an incredibly not difficult, but uh, maybe heavy is the word or um, it's also inspiring in a way because if I'm sitting in an airport in Houston or something like that and I'm watching the 65% obese population mm. walk past me mm-hmm. with, you know, their handbag of pharmaceuticals to, well, not trying to be judgmental, but just to try and make a point, uh, we are turning into koala bears. Uh, because we don't use complex movement anymore. We are highly inflamed, just like koala bears, because we eat a very, very processed diet. And I just need to throw this in. Eucalyptus leaves, which is the main dietary food supply for koala bears, mm-hmm. uh, it does not make them high. Mm-hmm. A lot of people think koala bears are kind of sluggish and stoner looking because they're stoned all the time it's because they're nauseous and sick and inflamed because they eat a leaf full of a volatile oil so just throwing that out there because you know not, not that i want to debunk that myth too much but it is unfortunately not true mm. so again when 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 i look at your average north american person uh, say in an airport it's so drastically different than living here in Nelson, BC. When because I'm when I have relatives come to this town who haven't been here before, mm-hmm. the first thing that everybody says is, "This is the skinniest town I've ever seen." <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's and we actually funny. won like some statistical prize a few years ago where we ate more vegetables per capita than any other city in Canada. Huh. Wow. So I'm just just saying, like, when it comes to the your your typical community person where we live, we're, we're at a very different uh, kind of momentum because people here do things like yoga and qigong and tai chi and go to the gym and eat healthy. And, you know, we live in the mecca of outdoor sports. I mean, we have mountains and lakes and rivers right outside of our door. So it's four seasons of fun. Mm-hmm. Most people who live here live here because they want to have fun, mm-hmm. like physical fitness fun. So mm-hmm. I really see the koala uh, effect, if I was to call it that, there's a great name for a book. <laughs> the koala <laughs> the effect, effect oh, yeah. No. <laughs> uh, again, when I'm traveling and just seeing so many people just schlepping along, you know, barely able to figure out how to move their suitcase around. Mm-hmm. I know. It's it's 
kind of, it's quite sad actually. And it always makes me feel a little depressed when I travel and I see so many people having such a hard time getting around. And, and I think how can, can they tie their shoelaces? Can they, I mean, how do they, how do they manage to make it through the day? I would think it, it's just very sad. Yeah, and being in the work that I do, my instinct is, okay, how do we solve this problem technically? <laughs> so mm-hmm. we'll, we'll get into all of that today. But I just like that koala metaphor because it gives us all a, a cute, fuzzy kind of sense of permission to hold something close to ourselves that's actually kind of terrifying. Because mm-hmm. if we don't use our neuroplasticity, at some point it's going to be harder and harder to get it back. And at some point, you're basically just defending the erosion. You're not really building uh, more benefit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what are the benefits of increased neuroplasticity? Why? Why? You know? Why do we really care about that? Well, that's. I mean, that's a good question in a way. But and this doesn't. If this sounds snarky, that's not my point in any way. But. Uh, your brain and your nervous system, your neural pathways, your peripheral nervous system, your sensory nerves, the, all of the neurotransmitters that talk to your nervous system in your gut and your brain, uh, all of the memories and feelings held in your fascia, that's all your brain. Mm-hmm. Right? When we say like your, your brain shrinks, that's you know one, one way of doing it, but your brain shrinks uh, the way a water reservoir shrinks. Mm-hmm. Right. All, all of the other plumbing attached to that water, water reservoir has to shrink a little faster than the water reservoir itself or else you've built your reservoir wrong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. But, but in, just in the sense that even, even from a Chinese medicine point of view, we talk about Jing uh, Shen, which is kind of like your mojo and mindset. Okay. And Jing uh, sort of is thought to be kind of a physical uh, analogy to your nutrient-dense storage, your fat storage, the the kind of grounding uh, bank accounts of every one of your cells. Mm-hmm. So at a certain point, we all start losing that. And then we start losing collagen, then we start losing fat stores. Because again, from a Chinese medicine point of view, that idea of Jing uh, would be say, we would say that Jing is stored in your marrow and your marrow is stored in your brain. Now, mm. In English, that sounds like some literal way to set up a grocery store or something but <laughs> it's more about again thinking about it like irrigation or a reservoir you know if you have a lake at the top of a hill feeding your entire agricultural farming community mm-hmm. if you over farm or you start a lot of fires or other things happen at a certain point the reservoir can't keep up with the repair and if you actually start spreading that reservoir uh, out in other directions, say by pouring alcohol into your brain, causing more inflammation or, you know, something like that. Mm-hmm. You're just using up that sea of marrow, that sea of Jing. And, and and when that happens, everyone just ages faster. And, you know, now we're in the time when Alzheimer's is a crisis, uh, autoimmune neurological disease is a, at a crisis, mm-hmm. uh, other movement disorders uh, are at a crisis, our children's rate of neurological things like autism, mm-hmm. uh, <clears throat> there's a whole new phenomena around adolescent onset neurological inflammatory conditions. Um, you know, depression, mm-hmm. anxiety, and things like that are becoming way more common with kids. And there's a lot of social reasons why. But if we step back and just look at the reserve mm-hmm. uh, of our potential to be, you know, healthy in that mojo and mindset way, growing up on breakfast cereal and white sugar, you know, that's not going to make healthy humans. Mm-hmm. 
And again, that's why we're seeing almost half of the kids in big cities in high school on a pharmaceutical psych med of some kind. That's ridiculous. Well, it, it's also from a clinical point of view, uh, in the sense of momentum and the, the rest of their lives and the care they're going to need and mm. everything else we're going to have to do to, to recreate a healthy human society. Uh, people like me, I mean, I'm not reaching for Xanax yet, but it's getting kind of scary. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there was a joke about reaching for Xanax in my brain, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know. I mean, it is scary. It's like, what, what are, how are these kids going to grow up? I mean, they're hopefully going to hear a podcast like this and decide not to become a koala bear. Mm, I know. It, I, is it because like cereal is easy? It, it, you know, like sometimes I say to the kids, it's how about, TV. why don't you, how about at least make some French toast, you know, just whip up a little milk worse, and egg and, on TV. <laughs> <laughs> you know, or, or do something different, something that's not so simple. And, yeah, and, and again, I'll just keep saying this. It's on, on a screen. On TV. It's on a screen. And mm. people want to be what they see. Mm hmm. Hmm. I know um, I, when I'm at night, when I'm, I knit and crochet and I like to watch something while I'm doing that, but I'm kind of like into murder mysteries and espionage and, you know, stuff like that. Anyway, I like British, I like British kinds of things and i was just gonna make a quick joke about we all want to be what we see so <laughs> <laughs> there's janine in her corner with her knitting needles thinking about murdering people <laughs> or just being the detective to figure out who the yeah so but anyway i don't you know we don't have satellite or cable so i watch you know netflix or hulu or whatever so i don't get any ads and I find it fascinating, like when we travel um, and, you know, stay in a hotel and, you know, maybe watch a movie or something, all the ads and they're so long, they go on forever. And they're, yeah, it's, it's, it's now like, 18 minutes per hour. Oh my God. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> I was like, I, they, I don't think ads used to be this long. And I'm like, wow. No, no, I think it went, it's gone down from nine minutes an hour it's gone from nine minutes an hour to 18 minutes an hour in research that which is maybe over 25 years wow and and i just i i was just marveling because i thought wow people are watching this all the time Ugh. and the little kids who are you know learning to see what they want to be i mean that that's that's what scares me the most and wow so what do we do about this how can we change it? How can we? Well, the, the theme that uh, got you and I talking today was that series of articles that I uh, put out about Don't Be a Koala. Mm -hmm. uh, you can find those if you're interested on my website. It's uh, autoimmunehealthsolutions.com. Mm -hmm. So what I ask people to do is just take a moment and go, don't worry. There's a lot you can do. And obviously a healthy diet, meditation, enough sleep, drink lots of water, those are basically good for everybody. And if you're not doing that, um, whatever else you're doing is kind of an uphill process. So that's up to you. But when it comes to specifically complex movement, which is again, when you think of your brain as a nervous system, including pretty much every active, reactive, uh, responsive cell or system in your body, um, think of it like the electrical grid uh, of your city. And if you're you know, not doing much with complex movement, 
the entire internet or grid of your your city is shrinking. But if you're doing a lot of things that improve complex movement as well as the rest of your health, you can keep growing that uh, electrical grid or the proverbial internet of your body uh, to its maximum. And I don't know any way to even test that. So it, it's pretty open-ended. But the thing that most people want to do is know specifically how, and that's a very individual thing. So what I'd like to do is start with a list of general uh, opportunities that will help everyone, and we can get into the details as much as you want. Okay, great. Okay. So first thing is always going to be something that's a, a very coordinated, a very patient mind-body practice, and I usually refer to that as standing meditation or a moving meditation. So most uh, qigong and tai chi is done standing most yoga is done standing uh you know we get on the ground to do stretches and uh you know other things that really help certain parts of our body but for the most part we're standing or or leaning or uh turning or stretching in a way <clears throat> excuse me uh in, in a way that basically improves a, a part of your brain called proprioception and then mm. that's how your brain registers movement and momentum and position and you know pressure and, and pain and things like that okay. so as long as we can think of ourselves you know opportunity number one is something you can do that looks like a standing or a moving meditation and you know i always like to throw this out there with my patients someone invented tai chi someone invented qigong somebody came up with yoga someday a long long time ago so can you so if you don't want to go to a class or buy a video and, you know, the theme of not watching screens is already up on the, the conversation today. So why not just go into your living room and play and, and find out what your, your version of Tai Chi or made up yoga or Qigong would look like. There's obviously a lot you can learn for free on YouTube or there's classes you can take anywhere. I actually do online uh, Qigong classes if somebody wants to learn more about that for me. But mm, nice. The, the that's step one for everybody because you can do it anywhere and uh, it adds meaning and it really encourages proprioception. I mean, off, often if I'm in a bank lineup or something and I have nothing else to do for three or four minutes, I'll move into a standing meditation or play with little inner bone rotations and things, you know, as a kind of gradual, slow, undulating kind of version of fidgeting. Because mm -hmm. otherwise I would probably be scrolling on my phone or something. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, it gives me that chance to just really be in my embodied self uh, and, and more present to the moment. So it's the next idea. thing that uh, is a great opportunity is really deep stretching. Now, mm -hmm. both mm -hmm. Qigong and yoga do a lot of that. Some standing, some sitting, some on the floor. But it's not just about stretching uh, to see if you can touch your toes. That, okay. And that seems to be seen with a lot of the, I guess, more superficial opportunities to learn about this stuff because you just see people who can get into these contortionist-like positions and people who can't do that, they think that's the point. Mm. Mm -hmm. and, and the point of stretching is actually, again, around proprioception and neuroplasticity is to change the associations of safety and um, curiosity and adventure kind of within your own body. And this freaks people out. And I mean, I should just say trigger warning to some people. <laughs> but if you're in a surgical suite getting some kind of procedure done and they give you the right kind of anesthetic, mm -hmm. you're basically like a, a Gumby toy that can be bent around in any kind of uh, direction you want. The thing, things that we hold onto in our body as 
uh, I'm inflexible, I'm stiff. If you give the nervous system enough of a specific kind of gating drug, then that person is basically like a pretzel. Hmm. So uh, inflexibility is a memory of uh, unfamiliarity with terrain within your own body. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about complex Say that movement. again. That's an interesting statement. Okay. Flexibility or inflexibility is in a way uh, a lack of body memory or a lack of proprioceptive memory of previous adventures of occupying your own body in space. You know, in the sense that I, I do know what it's like to touch my finger and then my elbow or my, you know, nose to my toes. Mm-hmm. But we all believe that we're just mechanically stuck and, you know, and that's just not true. But the benefit of stretching besides occupying more uh, adventurous regions in, in your muscle memory is it stretches out your nerves. Mm-hmm. And your nerves don't stretch the way muscles do. So when you start really stretching and pulling on nerves, you start producing more very specific growth hormones for neurological tissue. Mm-hmm. So when you're thinking of neuroplasticity, which is growing new neurological tissue, stretching is, well, way up there because <laughs> mm-hmm. you're, you're actually inducing the hormones and you know you can't just do that by putting a person into a hide bed and opening and closing it 50 times because <laughs> <laughs> otherwise there'd be hide bed therapy <laughs> everywhere for people <laughs> although now that i think about it yeah. <laughs> i see a new business on bakery i guess <laughs> but when it's an intentional thing you know using breath work and releasing emotion which again gets held up on our fascia Mm-hmm. You're, you're recorrecting your whole body memory of yourself as a person just through breath and stretching and patience. Um, so those, those are really good because they're in a way relatively passive, you know, doing a made up Qigong class. It's, it's not hard work and, and it's about becoming present and familiar within your body. Mm-hmm. Deep stretching is the same. It just goes deeper and uh, takes more time, but has in a way more biochemical and neurological benefit. And then the next thing would be resistance training, where mm-hmm. if you're doing some circuit training, some interval training, some, well, CrossFit might be a bit of a reach for people at the beginning. Uh, now you're not only uh, recreating similar things to a Qigong class or a, a stretching class in the sense of movement and proprioception, now you're increasing even more growth hormones. You're improving vascular circulation on every level. Uh, your your whole body mass uh, changes in the sense of proportion of fats to muscles, which is actually neuroprotective and immunoprotective. Mm. The the mm-hmm. biggest bank account for people going into their 70s and 80s is your muscle mass. Ah. Because your body reads that as your bank account. So if you're 75 years old and you're 102 pounds and if you get cold every time someone thinks about going outside that's your adaptive physiology saying you need to pack on more bank account Mm. right so that resistance training is really important and again it's uh, toning up your proprioception because now you're going from i can lift my hand up and scratch my nose if it's itchy to i can take 30 pounds and use kettlebells or something and use complex movements to hold it up over your head 100 times in a row or something like that so there's just many, many more benefits. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you're saying, I believe, that my, I'll take a personal example here, that my being cold a lot and having like having a lot of difficulty when it gets cold outside is maybe I need more muscle? Uh, well, muscle because it helps with circulation. 
and it helps with the the disposition of calories because muscles actually cost energy every day to keep them. Right. So you'll, you'll want more calories. You'll want to keep those calories moving. You're going to want to have a better vascular uh, supply basically in every part of your body to just keep the the tissue healthy. You know, and it's interesting that when you look at the amount of vascular tissue for a pound of fat, I think it's about 2,000 kilometers. Hmm. And that's a non-reflexive gland. It's just, you know, and that's something most people don't also know is that uh, your fat tissue is a gland. It's not some gross stuff you want to chop off of a pork chop to make it go away. <laughs> oh, okay. Right, because it's actually talking to the rest of your body. So there, there's it's it's a good energy source, but it's a complex relationship and it's a bit um, dysfunctional in the sense of what it's like for the body to hold on to too much fat. Whereas... When you look at the amount of vascular tissue needed for muscles and the amount of nutrients that they uh, store and the amount of uh, calories that they uh, maintain proper flow of energy through your body, if you wanted to put it that way, mm -hmm. having more muscle is way, way more important than having more fat. Mm -hmm. Now, we all need a good you know, 15 to 25% body fat in general, but those of us who have an extra 5 to 10 pounds of muscle mass are going to live longer and survive an infection better and deal with other kinds of illness better because we have a much better, healthier bank account. And again, because that bank account is a moving uh, engine instead of a storage facility, your circulation and metabolic rate goes up. Mm -hmm. So now your your whole body is basically in the sense of chi is everything's flowing, everything's warmer. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Okay, that's a great explanation. Thank you. So the next thing on the list is breathwork. Ah, yes. So breathwork's an interesting conversation nowadays because since uh, Wim Hof and a few other people have come out with um, how to use breathwork to control your immune system, how to use breathwork to uh, submerge your body in cold water or ice water, mm. it's, be, it's become <laughs> kind of like its own version of a kind of athleticism. And mm. that's really amazing because of the mm. benefits. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Uh, there's all of the holotropic, uh, modernized kind of hallucinatory breath work that people use mm -hmm. for breaking through, you know, deep psychological and spiritual barriers within themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, and then there's sort of the gentle, gentle, more collaborative breath work that you would learn in a Qigong or yoga class around deep relaxation and, uh, releasing trauma and reinvigorating yourself in, in somewhat symbolic ways with breath and, and all of that. So from the outside, there's, you know, you could walk by, I don't know, say four different kinds of breathwork studios if at some point we have those, which we already are starting to see. <laughs> hmm. And mm -hmm. you could see people lying on the floor trying to get high on their own DMT. Mm -hmm. And you could see other people uh, focusing on more uh, athletic kind of things with breathwork. And then people just trying to calm down and release the terror of a really dysfunctional childhood. So no matter what kind of breathwork you see through the window, the inner kind of biomechanics and physiology of breathwork is profoundly beneficial because you can't do breathwork without rearranging how your solar plexus works. Hmm. And your solar plexus is the part of your nervous system and it's actually called solar because if you were to dissect someone and look at the middle of their spine coming out just below their diaphragm, it would look like a sun ray, a solar ray of nerves, like in 360 degrees, mm. reaching out into your body. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. So the lower part of the sun or your solar plexus reaches down and deals with all your fight or flight stuff, the nerves that tell your adrenals to go, the the nerves that tell you to poop your pants if you're scared, mm-hmm. uh, they give us diarrhea when they're in the dentist office and, you know, all kinds of other things like that. Uh, so if you're in a fight or flight state, your solar plexus has basically hit a, a switch that says the world is this dangerous and that tells you what to do with the rest of your day. Now, we have another part of our survival nervous system, uh, which is the top of your solar plexus, and it goes up into your diaphragm and some root facial nerves that help you deal with how you breathe and how you read and express yourself around facial expressions, tone of voice, uh, body language, and stuff like that. And this is all, you know, what we call the polyvagal nervous system. Mm -hmm. And that's the deep uh, feedback between your brain to your gut um, and your gut to your brain through what's called your vagus nerve. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you've done any research on this or if you've done a show on it, but one of the most commonly sought out things on social media, especially YouTube, is the 32 exercises to tone your vagus nerve. Hmm. No, I have started doing <clears throat> some research on the polyvagal uh, work using the polyvagal system, but um, I, I haven't done a show on it and I, I actually don't know a lot about it. Yeah, well, that's okay. It's, it's not something I would expect most people to. It's mm-hmm. just to bring to your attention that mm-hmm. um, when it comes to complex chronic autoimmune disease, inflammatory conditions, uh, peristaltic problems within your GI tract that you know make infections a lot harder to, to work out, or even just feedback, negative responses to antibiotics and other medications, mm-hmm. we're starting to see that your vagus nerve is like, in a way, the inner traffic cop of your well-being. But the thing that doesn't mm-hmm. seem to really be spoken to in the literature about your vagus nerve uh, in that sense is all of the opportunities that your polyvagal system can uh, bring into your day when you start getting more into authentic communication in the sense of tone of voice, body language, facial expressions, to feel more collaborative in your environment. Some people would call that safe, but I don't think safe is the objective. I think safe is the objective for children. Mm -hmm. Uh, Adults want to know that we can sit down with each other and find mutual meaning and Mm. uh, uh, a sense that we can trust each other enough to do something out in the world together. Mm -hmm. Kids want to know they can have a a blanket fort and people are going to watch their back. Adults need to, we can go out there and build a new town together or something. So there's that whole part of the polyvagal system that we can bring into being in every conversation we have with actual people. You can't do that with your phone. (laughs) Right. Because it's conventional. But when we go back into the breath work, you're now in solar plexus central station where you can regulate the, you know, 20, last 20 years of disposition towards fight or flight response, tend to be friend response, uh, the more nurturing connection responses that we have. So breath work is... You know, it's a, a, a backdoor into the machinery of your survival self uh, that works very, very quickly. And from a neuroplasticity point of view, which is in a way, if I was to say neuroplasticity another way, it's about how your brain remembers you. Mm. And if you mm. keep changing how your brain remembers you for the better, that's how you wake up every day. If things are going badly, your brain remembers you diminishing every day. And that's how you remember yourself every day. So with moving meditations, with stretching, with breath work, uh, and things like that, you're fundamentally rewiring not only uh, how you move uh, Mm -hmm. and how flexible you are, you're changing how you remember you on an instinctual level as you in the world. 
Hmm. And, and that, that covers every aspect of neuroplastic function, you know, but it's, it's more than just learning to juggle. <laughs> mm-hmm. Interesting. And then, and, and then there's other opportunities that are more specific, like prolonged stillness is very, very good for a part of your proprioceptive body because you're always in space moving subtly okay. and giving your, you know, like a standing meditation or a yoga posture where you hold it for a few minutes or longer than that. You're, you're giving a different baseline of precision to, to the body. As well as if you're standing, you're, you're releasing different hormones because you have what's called axial load on your skeleton. And that actually mm. helps you respond to stress in another way. It's why people in outer space have to exercise because you don't have the right kind of pressure on your bones. Mm. Your bones <laughs> will just turn into mush because you don't need them. And again, the mind remembers the body in a lot of different ways depending on your environment. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, silence. I mean, believe it or not, if you don't get enough silence, your brain starts to have problems. Why is that? Because through the last several million years of human evolution, nighttime was pretty quiet. Mm-hmm. And it's actually, there's some research that shows people who have insomnia where they wake up around 2, 3, 4 in the morning mm-hmm. and uh, can't get back to sleep. One theory is that your brain is so starved for silence that it's waking up so you can be consciously silent. Oh, wow. That's weird. <laughs> no, it's actually like a survival need. Wow. Because <laughs> there's a, a part of your brain called your hippocampus, which mm-hmm. is, is your frontline, part of your frontline attention, frontline front of uh, memory formation and a bunch of other things, okay. and, and the most diminished by things like Alzheimer's. Mm. It will regrow more with four hours of silence than anything else we can do to it. Wow. Now, is that needs to be awake silence or sleeping well, silence. That, that's why people wake up in the middle of the night to hear nothing. Because <laughs> huh. lis- listening to silence um, from an auditory point of view is kind of the balance between am I in a safe place? Am I adapting to the place I'm in? Am I enough uh, within myself and aware of myself and confident within myself to listen with curiosity instead of fear? Mm-hmm. And that, that's why kids keep doing what they do so they can learn to play in environments that are progressively more scary or oh. exciting. Right? But it's also oh. when you look at, uh, you know, all of the monastic traditions, you know, humans are pretty crafty, but sitting in a room by yourself with nothing to do seems like the opposite of crafty because there's nothing to do. But when people sit still and breathe and learn to maybe quiet the mind or focus the mind in different ways, you're fundamentally changing the structure and, and the, I guess, adaptive responsiveness of the brain. But that only happens with silence and some focus. So are you saying that um, going to sleep, I like to use white noise? That Yeah, well, white noise is for people who can't stop flitting around with their attention. Because white noise is, believe it or not, every sound that humans can hear at the same time. Mm. Well, I, I use, well, I, I call it white noise, but I use like rain. Okay. Like well, it. rain is actually the best background noise. Second oh. to that, it's rain thunder in the mm-hmm. sense of helping people fall asleep because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, again, it's a pattern of noise that, that helps us predict our environment. But mm-hmm. the silence thing is something we also need. Mm-hmm. And it's something you need four hours a day of silence or else, you know, I think brain problems would have been uh, advancing on us a lot faster. Silence, I mean, like when I'm cooking, if I don't have the radio on or something, is is that considered silence? Or are you talking about just sitting and nothing happening? 
pretty much sitting with nothing happening. I mean, there's a, a whole scale to this. I'm just trying to bring up a really interesting point because the lack of adaptive response through the antennas of your ears means a lack of the need for decision making. Hmm. And when your okay. body goes into a, a state where there's no present decision making to be made, uh, the brain can kind of do a hibernating thing. Somewhere between that, like, you know, shuffling around your kitchen, making some stew without too much distraction is enough silence to trigger what's called your default mode network or the part of your mm -hmm. mind that produces your internal dialogue. And everybody hates that part of your brain. You know, and we want to listen to our audiobook mm -hmm. or turn up the music because I don't want to keep thinking about that argument I had with my grandparents 25 years ago, but for mm -hmm. some reason it keeps coming into my head. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, all that. So I ask my patients to think of uh, a Rolodex. And if you don't know what a Rolodex, think of it <laughs> as a bunch of uh, emails on, on the screen of your phone. And until you answer each of those emails or until you look at each uh, card in your Rolodex, mm -hmm. you have cognitive homework to do. And your brain reads that as a bit of survival homework. So when you sit in silence for the first, you know, few minutes or a few months, depending on, well, a lot, the first thing that's going to happen is your default mode network is going to show up with that little Rolodex of cards or that scrolling list of emails saying, pay attention to this and then move on, pay attention to this and then move on and pay attention to this. And the way I put it, because I, I don't know, I have a fantasy of doing comedy someday. <laughs> um, my, my thing is that if I sit in my default mode network, throws up a, a stack of um, internal dialogue uh, needs that need to be met, mm -hmm. the way I look at it is I haven't got the joke yet. Like whatever this is about <laughs> 25 years ago, my grandparents, there's something in here I haven't gotten the joke or I haven't gotten the message or... Um, there's maybe a deeper somatic part of this that I need to feel into. So uh, one of the most important things people ever get to do is to, I mean, I, I had this conversation when I was in the hospital years ago with someone in the bed beside me and they had to come in every few months for a procedure and uh, we were talking about what it was like for them and me, I was fiddling around trying to get my laptop to start so I could get some work done while I was stuck in this bed because I had to get this thing done and uh, they're sitting there with their hands over their belly going into this deep thing and me, I'm like, man, I teach meditation and here I'm in the hospital bed trying to get my goddamn computer to work and the person next to me does this all the time and they're like a Buddha. And I was just like, so what's, what's this like for you? And they says, well, I've come to realize that, you know, maybe on some karmic level, my health has pushed me into this room, you know, every month for, you know, 14 hours or whatever it was. And they've just decided to take that as an opportunity for them to go through their Rolodex or their email list of thoughts that they haven't got the joke from yet or mm -hmm. thoughts that they haven't really completed yet. And if you don't do that, you will start building up a resistance to silence because the overwhelming list of emails or things to think about feels like an anxiety attack. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So again, when it comes to neuroplasticity, if you're just jamming up your whole, whole uh, adaptive neural, neurophysiology by repressing important subjects that need to be sorted out, I mean, that, that's like nine layers of cheese stagnation from a Chinese medicine point of view. Mm -hmm. And eventually you're, you're going to kind of feel like you're losing it when you finally can't just keep blaring up the volume of distraction. Mm. So, mm -hmm. and so in, it comes in the big leaking out. Yeah, it just gets kind of crazy making. Mm -hmm. So you have to, yeah, it's almost like you have to clear off the homework 
uh, clean off your desk before the neuroplasticity really is uh, free and open it up to you. And the last little part of this from my list of, you know, moving meditation, standing, stretching, breath work, resistance training, getting into some prolonged stillness for, for body mind kind of Zen moments. And then enough silence to let your hippocampus repair itself, but also to get through your, you know, scroll of homework to do. Um, last thing is to find anything you can do on that list, mm -hmm. uh, besides silence, <clears throat> mostly, they would include dancing and singing and music. Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. when you go to a, an old folks home, especially when they're treating Alzheimer's patients, if you play music from that person's uh, adolescence, the point when uh, in their life when they were becoming an adult, the associations that they made with that music, because it was kind of like generationally defining and self-defining music, they all remember people's names, they'll remember their misadventures, they'll, they'll mm. remember all kinds of things because the association to the memory wasn't linear. It was the the whole state that the music brought into their mind. So if you can learn your Tai Chi that you make up to music that you really like, you know, maybe some thrash metal from the 80s or something. <laughs> <laughs> or whatever you happen to be into, probably not. Uh -huh. But as you age, those practices are hardwired in your body as a proprioceptive experience or a, a dexterity experience. Uh, if your music has meaning, then there's an emotional, you know, self in the world association to the memory. And then there's just the actual thing you're, you're, you're doing. Uh, if you're dancing, then it's more fun because there's an expressive, euphoric joy and and um, uh, audacity, if you will. You know, mm -hmm. it's the opposite of being timid. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if that happens, great. And then there's singing, which is even more like dancing and not being timid, but it combines the the uh, diaphragmatic tone, the pelvic floor tone, that mimics what all the breathwork stuff we talked about would be doing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So. I mean, that that's just the list. How to engage with that list, we probably only have a few minutes to get into. But I could, you know, throw out a, a few examples of where to take it. Yeah, that, that would be great. You know, I'd like is, to just share that um, I, what's come to me while you're talking is that some of my most vivid memories are um, from my days of teaching ballroom dance. Oh, wow. And And going out with my fellow instructors, you know, after we're done teaching and clearing off the dance floor at a nightclub and, you know, just taking over the whole dance floor and just having a blast. Um, but those are yeah. really clear for me. Yeah. And if you can find the music to do that, that would be great music to do something else to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So I'm just going to be very quick with, uh, I'll preface something really quick okay. uh, or two things and then I'll come back and then I'll kind of let you guide where this goes. Okay. Uh, there's at least six different ways that you can uh, accelerate your neuroplasticity. Some I've kind of mentioned, but um, there are ways to really isolate and ground what you're doing uh, more effectively as an embodied practice, especially. Mm -hmm. But also what's really important is the time that it's actually best to do this is in the morning for 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. Okay. <clears throat> because neuroplasticity is uh, the opposite of hibernating. Okay. So if you wake up and do the same thing in the same order, go to the same 
I don't know, go to your toilet, scroll your social media, then brush your teeth and do your other stuff and drive the same route to work or whatever your morning is. If it's not in any way new, it's the opposite of neuroplasticity. Mm. And brains, being very good at conserving nutrients and calories, will turn you into your version of a koala bear because your morning is rinse and repeat, hibernate, nothing new, nothing to see, no learning happening today, go back to sleep. So if you wake up in the morning and do 20 minutes of any of these things that, that we've talked about with a focus on making it challenging, changing the order, I don't know, walking around your house backwards just as a silly example, <laughs> mm-hmm. and you do that mostly every day, you're going to notice within 10 days some huge changes and within three months some massive changes to everything that you're doing, thinking and feeling. Wow, that's that's if, pretty amazing. Yeah. If you don't do it in the morning, you're still going to get the benefit. It's just going to be a little tiny bit more work. Okay. Uh, and the day you're having is going to be a little bit more of a, I don't know, a sl- what's the word? Uh, it'll just be a bit less inspiring, you know, mm. in, the, in the sense of, of how connected we feel. Okay. So I just want to make sure I put that out there uh, because it is like... Mm, scientifically measurably proven that if you can do 20 minutes every day of something challenging and new and and uh specific to proprioception um and neuroplasticity you're gonna have the youngest happiest brain for the longest your genetics can carry it wow well that sounds worth it (laughs) yep and it's fun Uh why not get up and do your thing leave your phone like somewhere else in your house until you've actually woken up to you and your day and then we'll wake up to the the e-world of your life after that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i mean i can't do that every day just because the way my life is set up but the days when i'm it's usually three four days in a row during the the week that i make sure i have my morning to do what i want to do with it mm-hmm. and yeah I, I just love that part of my life because mm-hmm. it's it's i don't know i'm in my 50s and i'm still doing pretty good with my brain so good job so what are the six ways then, that the things that would be good to do in the morning? Well, the the list of things to do in the morning is that list of standing meditation, stretching, okay. breath work, resistance training, stuff like that. Okay. So if you picked four of those for five minutes, that would be a good start. But the thing that makes these even more effective is uh, what I would, I don't think I've branded this or something, but I call this six zones of neuroplasticity. Okay. So the first one is called your sacral plexus. Uh Uh-huh. And, you know, that's the nerves that come out of the bottom of your spine, reach into your pelvis, uh, have a little bit to do with lower kind of organ functions, but primarily have to do with everything your legs do and your genitals do. Okay. So from a kind of yogic point of view, that would be your lower chakras. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, but when you're doing, you know, your standing meditation, your moving meditation, your dance, your stretching, your resistance training, you're actually training the base of your spine and the base of your brain uh, to feel more effective and, and stronger and more curious and more courageous to the world because you're training the part of your body and brain that actually is the animal. Hmm. You know, if we all had to suddenly turn into a werewolf or something to deal with problems, the size and, and the, the scariness of, of your proverbial inner werewolf would be how active your sacral plexus has been. Mm-hmm. 
And that's why you see people who, you know, you, they train martial arts for years and years and years. I've been doing that for 40 years in my life. Mm-hmm. And then the first two things I have all of my students do, it's called post and pivot. Bend your knees, feel the ground, turn left and right so that anything you do actually matters. Because you're, you're bouncing around like you're trying to pretend you're a pinata and say, try and hit me, he, he, he. You're, mm-hmm. you're playing a game. You're not getting ready to deal with violence. Mm-hmm. Right? And it's not that this is about violence. It's about the part of your instinctual body mind that trusts you to do the hard stuff. We have the urban myth of uh, a, a mom who picks up a car to rescue her baby. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know that, that would be a metaphor for your sacral plexus going, okay, I'm going to gur and purr my way through this but I'm going to use a lot of gur. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have any memory of doing that, you know, I, I'm, I just picture, and I, I know I'm mixing metaphors and this might offend someone, but that's not my intention. I'm just picturing as a martial arts teacher, you know, when we teach self-defense, we often talk about walking around in high heels and a miniskirt. And it's not about whether or not it's fair that there's predators in the world. It's about realizing that if you're walking around in physically a precarious way, you as an instinctual animal are going to feel precarious in situations where you're supposed to feel powerful. Mm-hmm. So if the crap hits the fan in a situation like that, kick off your shoes and pull up your skirt so you can gur and purr like a mad person. Mm-hmm. Right? Cause, mm-hmm. cause we, we, we have to do that. I mean, if we go back to the pick up a car analogy, I don't think it's going to happen if you're in four inch heels mm-hmm. and this has nothing to do with the clothes people wear. Mm-hmm. It's about how we connect to the world mm-hmm. and your sacral plexus is the, the best investment ever because we all want to be instinctually present. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And when you're doing all those morning practices, when you're focusing on your sacrum, you're focusing on your alignment, you're focusing on that gur kind of uh, part of life, not to be adversarial, but to be playful. Mm-hmm. You're, you're changing your entire hormonal physiology. You're going to grow much healthier tissues in that environment than you are if, if you're feeling precarious or scared. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. So, <clears throat> that, that one leads into uh, a slightly deeper somatic relationship with what you're doing. And again, we go back to the idea of Qing in Chinese medicine, which is in some people's minds kind of an, a magical substance that you store uh, in your cells and your bones and your brain and it's managed by your kidneys and that that's where Chinese medicine and English don't get along very well because in English everything's a noun because mm, mm-hmm. Jing is meant to be a state. Ah, okay. It, it describes your your overall adaptive kind of repose to the world. Mm-hmm. You know, and again, I talk about that gur and purr, that mojo and mindset part of us because if you're doing your exercise and you're looking in the mirror and you don't like your muffin top and you've got some toe fungus and your one eyebrow is too high and whatever, <laughs> you're, you're not focusing on the compound thing you're doing with your kettlebells. You're basically being self-recriminating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But if your focus in your 20-minute neural boost practice or whatever you want to call it and you're feeling into your mojo, you're feeling into your excitement, you're feeling into the part of you that might be sweating and go, I am an internal badass because I'm making my life better. And that feeling of uh, sensuality, sexuality, potency is a state. And that's all about neurotransmitters and neuropeptides and things that tell you, uh, I guess, how confident you should be the next time you sit down at date night. Mm-hmm just about being you in the world. Mm -hmm. But it isn't about how much weight you lift up. It's about how big of a smile you have 
when you finish your your set and give yourself or the person next to you a high five because you are you're just proving to the world and to yourself uh yourself more importantly that you're the one who's moving ahead and you're the one who's making the mojo uh, of your life true and potent and powerful Hmm. and again that's not something you're going to do while you're writing down your workout list with a you know pencil on a bus <clears throat> you know, that's a good start. Mm-hmm. But until you're actually done the workout going, oh, I can't believe I just did that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah. here's an example. Okay. Um, and I always feel weird when I use this example because this is not hard. It sounds hard. Um, sometimes it's about every three months you know, when I'm, if I'm in a regular cycle of training, I'll go to the gym and I'll lift, I'll lift 100,000 pounds in 100 minutes. Oh. Right. Sounds really badass. You talk to most technical weightlifters and stuff like that and they do the math and like I did that in 27 minutes because <laughs> it's not that much. But I'm, I mean, uh. I'm, I'm not a weightlifter and I don't uh, spend a lot of time in the gym. But mm-hmm. for me, it's kind of like I want to go and make sure I can do that bench line mojo check in where I can basically go and lift up 100 pounds 10 times, you know, times uh, uh, 10, 10 different exercises and that's 100,000 pounds. But it's just setting up things in your life where, you know, I want to hike this really challenging uh, trail or something else where it's about the mojo. It's about the feeling of I can commit, I can produce the effort, I can complete the the challenge. And that's who I am in the world. Mm -hmm. And that's a state. Okay. Mm -hmm. And you can obviously make that better with adaptogen herbs and the right kind of vitamins and the right kind of food. But again, that 20 minute magic morning thing that you're going to do every day uh, is not just about math and, and how flexible you are. It's about how you feel about yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. the next thing would be to get precise. Meaning? Picky. Well, we talked about proprioception. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's the thing when, you know, if you get pulled over by the police and they want to find out if you've had too much beer or any beer or whatever, mm-hmm. they ask you to stand there with your eyes closed and touch your finger to your nose. Mm-hmm. The only reason you can do that is because your brain knows where your hands are in space because of proprioception. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when you start doing things like yoga, qigong, tai chi, uh, really specific kinds of resistance training, really deep, thorough, coordinated kinds of stretching that have a lot of uh, what I would call gyration or, or, or other movements or other angles of, of uh, dexterity involved, now you're just adding layers of complexity to what you're doing on purpose to make the the precision of your brain movement computer better. Mm-hmm. Right? It's, it's one thing to stand with your hands kind of out in front of you like you're holding, I don't know, a, a dog or something like that. It's another thing to hold your hands out in front of you like you're holding a dog and put two different brooms in each of your, or put a broom in each of your hand on its end and try and balance those brooms. Mm-hmm. Like that, that's going to take more proprioception than just holding onto a puppy. Right. So the more we can develop uh, skills and uh, opportunities and little adventures and obstacle courses or whatever, uh, now we're training all of those things. We're training our sacral plexus, we're training our mojo, but we're also training a kind of precision that builds just a better brain and a, and a better nerve muscle computer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is why when you look at things like Qigong and yoga, uh, especially, or Tai Chi as well, Tai Chi is probably the best example because of all the choreography. 
I mean, there's Tai Chi forms where you have swords and spears and other yeah, things. That, yeah. You know, maybe it comes from a just a martial arts point of view, but it's also just you know opportunities for your your body mind uh, coordination to get so good. I mean, there's there's competitions in China for the person who can do the best you know, Tai Chi spear form or something, because mm-hmm. they're the best at proprioception in that way. Mm-hmm. I remember using wooden dowels in Tai Chi. That was a long yeah. time ago, but yeah. Uh, you mean like the Tai Chi ruler or? Um, Did you hold a dowel between your hands or do you just swing it around like a club? Uh, hold it between your hands. Yeah, that, that's more of an energy cultivation practice, mm. but it's still really cool. And mm-hmm. more that, that'd be more of a mojo thing than, than a proprioceptive thing. Mm, okay. Mm-hmm. But still, notice that cultures who embrace these uh, uh, truths that we now know the words for in science, they've been doing them for thousands of years because people live longer and they're more healthy and they're more happy. Mm-hmm. So what we're really talking about here is is maintaining our youth as much as possible, our our ability to think better, to move better, to uh, to feel better in general, it, whether it's mentally or, or spiritually or, or physically. Yeah, we're just doing it in a very organized, uh, measurable, and kind of theoretically credible way. For those of us who, uh, most of us in the modern world, if, if you show someone the science, the math, the statistics, and then the opposite in the sense that uh, the consequences if you don't pay attention to it, people are pretty convinced. And that's why I bring it up this way. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. The, the the thing that's really important uh, with the koala metaphor, mm-hmm. we're specifically and literally talking about the volume of your brain that's working. Mm. The volume of your entire nervous system, peripheral nervous system, your fascia, your connective tissue on every level every day, the volume of you that's having an interactive internet-like experience. And if you're not making it bigger, it's shrinking out of just habituation and instinct. Mm -hmm. So don't be a koala. Keep moving and keep making it interesting. Mm -hmm. And keep making it different or else your brain will hibernate around it because you already know how to do it. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, I hope the listeners got a lot out of this because I think it's it's really important. Uh, nobody wants to be, you know, I've said over and over again to my friends, especially ones who are dealing with Alzheimer's, dementia with their their loved ones. I was so lucky not to have to go through that with my parents. And I certainly don't want to go through that. And I don't know anybody who does want to. So even if you haven't done too much up until this point, better late than never. And, uh, yep. you know, there, makes... there's no, there's no rules that say you can't break the rules. Mm-hmm. Good point. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. And the but rules I've, we I've, make up anyway. So, right. Yeah, yeah. But right. I've seen patients with Parkinson's, you know, barely make it up the stairs to my office. And a few months later, uh, on purpose, leave their checkbook in their car so they could do the stairs twice. Oh, that's awesome. Wow. Just in, just in the sense that you know, neuroplasticity is very plastic. You you can do a lot with it, mm-hmm. and even if you're facing you know a degenerative diagnostic uh, condition in that process, there's still a lot you can do. Mm-hmm. It's uh, 
yeah, we just have to take a different relationship and ownership with our our, our health and our body mind uh, experience and the meaning of what we do. And that's why I, I keep you know doing what I'm doing with you know the writing blogs and doing podcasts is you know pe- people are looking for these answers because they want to change something. Right. And I really just want to convince everyone, good, go and change it. This is how, this is why it's going to work. Mm-hmm. Get out there, make it happen. And you can and, do it. And you can. And I mean, it, it, we are in you know the modern world. So some people will hear a conversation like this and then decide, I get it. I trust it. I'll do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, other people maybe don't need this conversation. And maybe some people want to actually read the articles and, and check my uh, research to make sure that I'm not just making this up. And then they'll go out and do it. Like mm-hmm. we're, all, we're all different on that scale of of what we call the authority of information and who we can trust. But uh, whatever that takes for you, get past that part so you can get on your feet, start moving around and making stuff actually work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So how I know you have you have a podcast, you've got a blog, you've got websites. What are what are some of the different ways that people can connect with you? And I will also have all of this, of course, on the web page with links. Well, I wish people could see me blushing. <clears throat> uh, I'm in the middle of rebranding my entire social media presence, so it's kind of a, a mess. Uh, my primary website is autoimmunehealthsolutions.com, okay. and that's mostly for the work I do in functional medicine and Chinese medicine, acupuncture, stuff like that, mm-hmm. um, all the diet stuff. And then I have another website called somaticmindfulness.org, mm-hmm. O-R-G, and that has mostly to do with uh, the qigong and the somatic mindfulness and the breath work that I teach mostly for people working with trauma and addiction. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, most people I work with are working on a bit of both, but um, I like to keep those two endeavors a bit distinct for people so that they can focus on one and then the other and then both. Mm-hmm. Um, I had, and I think still have a podcast called Fusion Health Radio. I think we have one more episode coming out and then that's going to be, uh, ending the, the, all, all the hundred plus episodes are still going to be out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're changing the podcast in the next couple of weeks. It'll be called, uh, autoimmune health solutions. And that podcast is just going to be focused on my work with complex autoimmune disease. Okay. Which includes pretty much everything that's chronic and de- degenerative uh, for most people over 40, I guess. But I've just come to realize that uh, I kind of need to focus all of my work in one direction or else I have too many jobs. So mm. I've been trying to figure out how to mm-hmm. make sure every day I'm working on the same same stuff for the most part. Mm-hmm. So again, that's autoimmunehealthsolutions.com. When the podcast, pass, podcast comes up on iTunes and stuff, you'll find it there. Okay, great. Uh, and everywhere else. And the other thing is uh, my tag or I'm not sure what the word is actually because I'm new at uh, Instagram and mm. Twitter mm-hmm. is Ancestral-AIP, which stands for Ancestral Autoimmune Protocol, mm-hmm. which is the book that's coming out uh, in a few months. Oh, great. But it's my my new how to solve complex problems with good decisions. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh that's that's making a lot of a lot of difference for people. So I'm really excited to get that out there. Great. Well, I really, Michael, I really appreciate the work that you do, and and you obviously put a lot of time and effort into research and really, really, oh, how can I crassly say, knowing your stuff. <laughs> eh, it's a hobby or an addiction. I haven't decided yet. <laughs>
Well, thank you so much for sharing all of this with everyone. Um, I, I really appreciate it. And I'm sure our listeners do too. Well, thanks for having me on, Janine. It's great to chat with you again. Yeah, thank you. Take care, Michael. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Hey, everyone. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Dr. Michael Smith. I know I did. And I learned a lot myself. The podcast website is realjanine.com, where you can listen to or download episodes and click on links to my guest's information. Sign up for the podcast bi-weekly newsletter to keep up on new episodes and healthy recipes. To subscribe to Keeping It Real with Janine, go to iTunes or your favorite podcast provider and check out my podcast YouTube channel with video slideshows of my conversations. And just a reminder, Janine is oddly spelled J-A-N-E-A-N. Do you know someone who would benefit from my conversation with Dr. Michael Smith? Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure you do. So please share with your family and friends. We'd all appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Take care and be well. Bye.